I, I love how uh, Nadia had said, uh, you know, we're going to do the blitzing on Saturday. And when I first called it that, uh, nobody knew what I meant. Um, <laughs> and nobody knew what I meant when I said, hey, we're going to have a, a campus campaign or, or, um, or hey, let's lead a charge and all, all these weird church lingo terms. Which nobody knows what those mean. <laughs> um, but what it does mean and what we had a great time doing just yesterday was going out and sharing our faith around the city and coming together in the morning for prayer. And I think for me, New Year's this year, I just started off with saying, hey, let's not treat the whole month of January like a big Monday. Let's just get into it. And, um, you know, we don't need a, a refreshing course. And at least I thought we didn't. Now, I said, you know, we don't need to have a, a new winter workshop or anything or, you know, a, a big new vision statement because we already had one of those back in October. Um but, but I asked a few people in my household, and nobody remembered what the vision was. So I said, okay, maybe we should re- <laughs> keep repeating the vision, which is what we're going to do in January. But as Nadia said, also going through the book of Philippians. And much like when we, we had our last house church here, we were looking at the church starting up in Antioch. Today we get to look at the church starting up in Philippi. And we see a lot of similarities. We see the simplicity of Paul going in, making disciples, raising people up, and the church is birthed. That's where we're going today. Uh, a little bit of background. You could all start by turning over to Philippians chapter 1. It's such a, a unique and encouraging epistle. I think when I said to a few people, hey, what do you think about going through Philippians? I said, awesome. I love it. It's so encouraging. Almost every chapter has like a coffee cup verse on it or something you can put on Instagram. But more than that, as Nadia read from Philippians in the welcome, there's a a deeper secret and a deeper power here. Something for all of us to learn, as Nadia said, and to learn by putting it in practice. One thing we can learn from this book is joy. I think it's mentioned over 16 times in this book, Mm -hmm. being joyful always. And... That's why this epistle is unique, because it's encouraging, it's expressing gratitude and grace towards the church. It's not rebuke for this, correction for that, do this, do that, as some of the other epistles seem to be. We we can get that feel sometimes. Let's go ahead and read Philippians chapter 1, verses, verses 1 through 5. It says, Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And so there we have our first mention of joy, and it's a joy for these other people, for all who are in the church in Philippi. It's a joy for relationships, as Paul says to all of them. And I encourage us to strive off the bat, the the Christian life, though it's a very personal life and a very personal walk, it can't be a private one. We're meant to enjoy that with one another. Much more than that, we'll read on in a minute, but we're meant to partner in that with one another. As Paul partnered with the church in Philippi. We're actually going to turn over to, to see that church begin in Acts chapter 16. Who are these servants and deacons that Paul is talking about? These relationships that he's praying for consistently, that he has on his heart. So we could turn over, and I'll say it again in a minute, because we're about to have Derek and Lena walk in. <laughs> but Acts chapter 16. Good stuff, bro. Good stuff, bro. 
Hey, morning, Marina. <laughs> All right, everybody. So we're turning over to Acts chapter 16. Good to have everyone. Find a seat, snuggle in. <laughs> we're turning there to see the church begin. Some of the evangelization start by Paul and Silas here. So I'm going to start reading in verse 12 of Acts chapter 16. Amen. Good stuff, bro. It says, From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira, named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. She persuaded us. First character we meet, Lydia. An extremely awesome woman, a God-fearer, somebody open to the message of Paul. She's practically leading a, a women's prayer group or women's Bible study there by the place of prayer, there by the river. And she's getting in the scriptures with other women. She's doing so many things right, but she meets Paul and he says, hey, let's go further. Let's study it out. Hey, let me tell you more about Jesus. And hey, let's not only baptize you, but your entire household. And her whole household is baptized because she's the head of her household She's a successful businesswoman, a dealer in purple cloth. You, you could call her a, a fashionista. I don't know if people still use that term. <laughs> no? Okay. The wife confirms it. Should have edited that one. <laughs> She's very successful and very in control of her life, but still surrendered to, to being wrong, to other people pointing out some blind spots. So when Paul mentions in Philippians 1, hey, I have this longing for you, this affection from Christ Jesus. You're in my heart. I want to partner in the gospel with you. I remember you in my prayers. He's remembering Lydia, this incredible woman right here, somebody he could partner in the gospel with. And for Lydia, that meant that she wouldn't just continue on in her business. It was not business as usual. But when she embraces this radical grace that Paul teaches her about, the response is a radical commitment, a change of life, to become a, a disciple, a disciple maker, a partner in the gospel with Paul. Converting her, her whole household, that's the start of the church right there. That's a house church. And then we move on to another character. And, you know, this is actually a character I've skipped over so many times in the past. Um, uh, I, I preached out of Acts chapter 16 before, and I always said, you know, it's all about this character of Lydia, and then you get this jailer, and let's contrast those two. But I always skip over who we read about in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, similar spot or same spot, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. 
When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. I always kind of skipped over her thinking she's not that important for some reason. And I'm not sure why I, I thought that in the past, perhaps because it wasn't a, a um, you know, it, it didn't follow my formula of, hey, he met her and converted her and baptized her. But Paul certainly met her, had compassion on her, or at least was annoyed by her, as we read in the scriptures. Maybe Paul had a similar struggle that I had in, in seeing this woman, in seeing her need. It, it, it does say that she annoyed him. I think there was some struggle there. But she did have a need, and something was working in her, though it was a demonic possession. She was a demoniac. She was proclaiming, hey, this guy knows the way of salvation. God's working in kind of a funny way right here. We don't know if she ultimately, you know, joined Lydia's house church and if she became a part of the movement. But I like to think if, if her owners said, oh, she's no good to us anymore. And if Paul and Silas knew that, hey, by healing her, and starting this relationship with her, she's going to be an outcast, and we're probably going to get thrown in jail for it. I'd like to think that the relationship didn't end right here. And even if it did, we have to be willing to reach out to people in this circumstance, in all circumstances. Where Lydia was in total control of her life, uh, successful, popular, this slave girl was totally not in control of her life. You know, we, we could contrast the two right there when we're reaching out to others, when we're seeking and saving the lost. Sometimes we can see people and, and not want to reach out to them because we know that they'll need us. Oh, they have a lot of needs. Perhaps it's mental needs, physical needs, financial needs. And other people like Lydia, we fear reaching out to them because they are so successful and we think, oh, they don't need me. They wouldn't want me. They would think I'm uncool. But we have to reach out to both of these characters in all circumstances. Third character, and you notice that they got very angry. Paul and Silas are going to prison for proclaiming this gospel. They, they decided not to pick and choose who it would be brought to, not to be biased, but to bring it to all people, and they faced prison for it. So I'll pick it up in verse 20. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. And I'll stop right there just to mention how brutal it is already. They're being beaten with rods. And then the officials say, hey, just keep these guys safe. And the jailer says, okay, well, I'll put them in the stocks. And typically, especially in the Roman Empire, that's not just a couple of chains. That's putting your body in all sort of painful, contorted positions where your whole body would cramp up and it would stretch the muscles and the joints. Um, you know, you'd have your, your neck locked in. It was excruciating. It was torture is what they're going through. It, I suppose the jailer was keeping them safe, but he was going the extra mile to do his job well in, in actually putting them in these stocks. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. 
And when he saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You know, you consider the character of the jailer very different from Lydia, very different from the slave girl. A man, it seems, totally consumed with his job. And the penalty for, you know, a prisoner who would have escaped under, under your charge, your responsibility, he would have been put to death for that in the Roman Empire. It's the context for there. So that's why it goes to death so quickly. But we learned just a few verses later, this man has an entire family. It seems he wasn't even thinking of his own physical family when he thought of ending his life because his career was going downhill. But this is, a, you know, if, if the slave girl was lower class and Lydia was upper class, this jailer's probably middle class. He's a working man. He defines himself by his work. And being a jailer after work, he probably defines himself a lot by his government, uh, by uh, being bound to the Roman Empire and the duties that come along with that. That's where this guy is at. But Paul encounters him. He gives him a different identity and a different destiny, a different reason for living. That's the, the third partner, the, the third relationship that we see in Acts chapter 16. The, the second house church we see spring up in Acts chapter 16, the start of the Philippian church. Three very diverse characters, um, even, even I think diversity with, with Lydia being from Thyatira, that, that region, she would have been uh, Asian ethnically. And then they think, okay, and Paul, he's, you know, coming up Roman and Jewish. And all of them are from totally different places in life, in race, in class, in religion, all from totally different places. But the gospel is not bound by race. It's not bound by class. It's not bound by different religions. It, it penetrates through different religions. It penetrates through race. It, it doesn't have barriers. That's the example we need to follow with how Paul started the church in Philippi. Now, back over to Philippians chapter 1. Paul's writing this from prison. Some uh, 11 to 15 years later. And still, though all that time has passed, he speaks so affectionately about these people who started the church. And again, they became disciples. It wasn't just, hey, I, I baptized you guys, so now you're good and have your own private religion. No, they were in this together with a common commitment, all making disciples together. He raised them up and trained them so that the jailer and Lydia and others in the church there could become the future overseers in the church. Fifteen years later, I wonder how old the slave girl is now. I wonder how old the jailer's children are now, who Paul is still remembering in this letter. Thinking back on when, hey, we had the meal in Lydia's house, and then we had the meal in the jailer's house, and we celebrated together, and it was so joyous together. People were being saved. We're bringing the gospel to everybody. 
I'll, I'll repeat what we read. And so we'll start at the beginning of Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. And notice Paul doesn't even say, hey, remember me? I was your leader and the expert discipler trainer. He says, no, I'm a servant and you guys are the overseers now. You're the deacons. You're the ones with position and authority and great strength. He's so humble to say that, not be threatened by giving others position, but not himself one. Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. I think that's the sermon title. AJ asked me right before, what's the sermon title? If there's one point to communicate, it is this, who is in your heart? You know, we need to be partners in the gospel, not just on paper, but in practice. We need to be in discipling relationships with one another, not just on paper, but in practice. <laughs> one more there. <laughs> who, who is in your heart when you consider other disciples in the church? And also, who is in your heart when you consider the lost, people you're reaching out to? Are they really in your heart, or, or are people just, uh, you know, a number you have in your phone that you might text every now and then? Are they in your heart? I, I'm almost uncomfortable saying that as a guy. I want to say, like, oh, you've been on my heart, and I, I pray for you every now and again. But Paul says, no, you are in my heart, and I remember you constantly, and I'm always praying for you, very specifically and persistently, in his heart. In his heart was that diverse church, that fashionista, that slave girl, that jailer. None of us are fashionistas, obviously. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's where we need to take the gospel, guys. I need to catch up here. They responded again to that gospel with that commitment so that they could partner with Paul. That's what became the mission team, that diverse group. That's what became two house churches that then became a full church in Philippi. You know, uh, when we seek these relationships, we're going to have people in our heart. And if we're going to maintain these partners in all circumstances, people are going to look to us to see if we really maintain them in all circumstances. Oh, yeah, that's great. You're friends with disciples when, you know, it seems like all you do is hang out and have parties. But what if they threw you in prison? What if a difficult circumstance came your way? Would you still be rejoicing that you have other disciples to encourage you? And in Paul's position, it's not encouragement coming to him. It's he's sending out encouragement to them from his circumstance. But when the, the tough times come our way, are we going to have partners in the gospel? Are we going to have people in our heart that go beyond the circumstance? Despite life's circumstance. You know, one key to this, uh, Paul says it in Philippians, that the, the key to contentment, the key to uh, all this persecution in Philippians that he's undergoing, imprisonment, is this contentment for him. 
but he also has a fullness of life that transcends the circumstances. He has that because of the God he knows and how deeply he understands his love. We got to love God back, not because of what he gives us, the circumstance he gives us, but because of who he is. That's where we have fullness in life, not in our circumstance, but in our relationship with God and who he is. And yes, that partnership with others who can encourage us along the way. You know, the other morning, um, I... I wasn't doing too good with partnerships, not the other morning, two weeks ago, just about. Um, uh, hectic break, you know, uh, in-laws, family in town for the holidays, and just trying to take a break, trying to enjoy the relationships. Um, but I thought about disciples being out of town, and are, are they okay, and do I, need to, do I need to be about my purpose and seeing how they're doing? I thought about just other disciples who are... Well, like, like Hannah moving to Eugene to be married soon, that's pretty awesome. And, but I also thought about coming up in April, having a baby very soon, just in a few months. And um, in some ways, a, a shrinking group with Hannah going to Eugene, but also a growing family group with a baby on the way. And, and those things kind of got to my head and stressed me out to where I thought, I got to work harder. <laughs> I got to do more. <laughs> And uh, I got to do it on my own, and I got to get busy, and I got to do it all right now. And I, so I carved out a day to, to really dig into the scriptures and get all this done. But Madison woke me up and said, hey, let's go downtown and pray today, pray for the new year. And my instant thought was, oh, that is such a waste of time. Oh, and uh, I instantly realized how much I was struggling and how wrong I was in thinking that. Because prayer was the most important work. And Madison had to, I was pretty crabby, I think, the entire ride to, to go downtown, <laughs> to chisel out time with my wife, to, to be partners in the gospel with my wife, to pray together. And of course, once the prayer started, and we we're just looking over the city of Bend, praying for it, praying for this new year. God filled us with so much hope, and he actually answered just so many prayers just a couple days right after that prayer. It was just so fulfilling it is what that prayer was and that partnership was and that's what we can have with partnerships in the church is a great joy as paul had that joy and a great fulfillment some of us though it's a little tough if we get prideful there are other people in this room that we could benefit from that have strengths where we have weaknesses Sometimes we see others who have a strength and we could get a little competitive, a little prideful, or, or think that their strengths threaten our weaknesses, threaten our identity, threaten our position, threaten our authority, whatever it is. But their strengths complement our weaknesses. That's how we glorify Christ through these relationships. So we can't let pride get in the way of that when we need these partnerships. Some of us, we let pride get in there, and then it blocks that joy from happening that Paul was able to have. He was able to be humble, put his pride aside, but if we don't put that pride aside, if we're not willing to reach out for those partnerships and relationships in the church, we're just going to be like Paul sitting in that jail cell. There's other people that have found strength and freedom outside of that cell, but where perhaps you may be lonely because you aren't seeking those partnerships. You aren't seeking that strength in others. We have blind spots when we're alone, when we don't have others to partner with us, point things out in our life. 
So when I think of who is in my heart, I also have to ask myself the question, who am I allowing to be in my heart? <laughs> to really open up my heart, tell them everything that's in there. All the brothers in the church, all the sisters in the church, am I really opening up? Am I really saying, you know, that brother has a great strength and I have a great weakness in that area. I need to seek out that brother and get time with him to partner with him because his strength can help my weakness. That brother's woken up where I'm asleep. That brother's found freedom where I'm still in chains. We need to be humble enough to ask for those relationships in the church. Amen? You know, when it comes to partnering in the gospel, and I think who is my partner in the gospel, I think of people who are, who are in the trenches. And I could say for just about everyone in this room, have the opportunity to sit down and study the word of God together, or to seek and save the lost together, or to have a worship night together, to get in the trenches together, to be co-workers, workers in the harvest field, in the trenches, that's partnering in the gospel. I think of old relationships and, uh, you know, walking around campus for hours with brothers and sharing our faith. That was partnering in the gospel. But we can partner in so many ways here in Bend that it doesn't have to look just like roaming around campus for hours, believe me. But we have to be willing. We have to be willing to partner in the gospel, to get down in the trenches, confessing with one another, suffering with one another, studying the word with one another, evangelizing with one another, making disciples with one another. We got to confess, study the word. We have to do so many things to fulfill these one another relationships. But if you were like me over the holidays, uh, see, I fell into self-reliance. I fell into my blind spots where, where I could do it, where I, I didn't need to, to go to prayer because that wasn't the most important thing that morning. It's got to be more than that partnership on paper, partnership in practice. You know, I, I'm just read verse seven again. Ending out here. It says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And I want to return our focus to the lost. Um, yes, we need these partnerships in the church, but we got to be careful not to have too much of a, an inward focus. We need to have the outward focus as well. We need to be willing to pull people into our heart that aren't like us. There's a lot of churches today and a lot of people groups that tend to hang out and seek out people who are like them, who look like them, who do the same things that they do, and we can't be that as a church or a family. Paul created a family that wasn't like that in Philippi. We got to be a church where rich fashionistas can hang out with, with demoniac slave girls and be partners in the gospel together. Yeah, a little bit crazy, I know. <laughs> That's what we need in Bend, Oregon. Guys, uh, you know, bringing this thought into our communion meal today, who is in your heart, both in the church and for the lost in the world? That, that's the question I want us to consider. Um, in a moment, though, we're going to have Hannah share her testimony. I want her to have another opportunity to, to do that again while she's with us here in Bend. And, and we've enjoyed Hannah so much just being a partner in the gospel with us here in Bend. And we're thankful for her. So as we take communion after, after Hannah's testimony sharing and two more songs and our communion meal, consider who is your partner in the gospel? Who gives you great joy to partner with here? And if you don't have that, are you seeking and saving the lost to have others be in your heart? 
That's what we're going to talk about in the communion meal. Amen, guys? Amen. Amen. I will hand it over to Hannah. Please welcome up our sister to share her heart.